Well, good morning, Community of Grace. Good to be with you here today, and I also want to greet those who are watching this sermon at home today. We've had a great day already here. It's been exciting, but uh, I'm glad to be with you today and uh, to be bringing God's Word to you today. Uh, so here's how we're going to get started today. you got to have God's Word if you're going to study God's Word. So if you brought a Bible with you today, that's wonderful, but if you need a Bible to be able to follow along with today, our uh, ushers are going to be making their way down the aisle. They will have a stack of our Quest Bibles. And uh, you can take one of those and you can open up right away to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, that's where we're going to be studying out of today. It's on page 1,526 in the Quest Bibles. Or if you brought your own Bible along, that's great. You can open up to Luke chapter 12. Well, you know, we've had a lot of family time here today already. We had a baptismal family, which is so great. We, it it uh, explains one of our core values here at Community of Grace. One of our core values, which is Jesus makes us family. Jesus makes us family. He brings us into his family with his love, and he commits us to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus makes us family. And you know what? Sometimes family's got some business to do, right? You, you ever have any business to do in your family? You just got some family business you got to take care of. You know, I know what we do in our house. I mean, it, on a regular basis, my wife and I have to sit down. We've got to pull out the checkbook. We've got to pull out the budget, and we've got to find out the difference, Right? Right? I mean, it's just part of our lives together. It's part of the way that we keep our family strong. And, and we model that for our kids. We've got no problem talking about that and doing that. So, so Jesus makes us family. And sometimes family has business to do. And I know what some of you were thinking already. Oh, no. Pastor's going to be talking about money. Time to head for the doors. That's why we got the doors blocked. <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. And you know what, if it's your first time here to Community of Grace and you're going, oh my gosh, the first time I'm here and pastor's going to talk about money. Hey, listen, I want to put you at ease. The only reason I'm talking about money is because the greatest teacher the world has ever known, the most amazing storyteller that has ever lived, used to talk quite a bit about money. He shared about money. He taught about money. He talked about financial principles, management, business. He did all of those things, using them as a metaphor for spiritual things. His name is... Jesus, and he's the one who talked quite a bit about this, and there's a reason for that. It's because, friends, money is a spiritual matter. I'm going to say that again. Money is a spiritual matter. The reason Jesus talks about these things and uses it so repeatedly is because he knows something. He knows what we heard from the scripture that was read earlier, and I'm just going to paraphrase for the folks at home, which is simply this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus understands something about treasure and our hearts and our spiritual lives, and that's the fact that money is a spiritual matter. So we've got no problem talking about it here. We don't talk about it every Sunday, of course. We talk about a wide variety of things throughout the year, but today I want to talk to you particularly about financial stewardship and the way that God calls us into that and the way that Jesus taught about it as we continue our sermon series today called Jesus at Home. One of those things that Jesus does at home helps us to deal with our business and talks to us about our family business. So we're going to talk about that starting right now. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles. You've already got them opened to Luke chapter 12. That's great. You still need a moment. Open up to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to begin reading together in verse 13. Verse 13. So if you're there, follow along as I read. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? 
Then he said to them, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We're going to pause right there. Jesus is out with his disciples, and a couple of people come up to him, a pair of brothers in all likelihood, to talk to Jesus about inheritance. Has anybody ever had to deal with inheritance in their family? Hey, isn't it cool to know that this stuff has been around for a really long time? Figuring out inheritance. If you've ever been in any kind of an inheritance dispute, they can be messy. They can be ugly. So I'm grateful for people who take time to plan these things in advance. My dad was one of those people. He wrote down thorough notes about everything that was of value or that he felt was of value in possession of him and my mother, and they discussed it together, and so it's all listed out. Specifically, he wanted to be sure that it was very, very fair between me and my two siblings. That's a blessing. Appreciate that, because it doesn't go that way lots of times with families. But here, back in the time of Jesus, there were some particular rules that governed how inheritance worked, and this is how it worked. If you were the oldest son, you got a double portion. So two-thirds of the total estate went to the oldest son. And the remaining third? Well, if there was a second son, it would go to them. But if there was a third son, well, then that one got split between them. And if there was a fourth or a fifth or a sixth, it got split up all those other ways so that last third could be split in many different ways. But the oldest son got a double portion. So you can imagine that sometimes this could lead to a little bit of jealousy in a family. And here's a couple of brothers coming to Jesus, going, Jesus, you know what? You know, we've heard you preach and teach, and, and you are all about fairness, right? And this is just unjust. This isn't right. So I, we want you to, to figure this out between us. Tell my brother to be generous and do the right thing towards me by giving me a fair share of the inheritance. And Jesus says, man, like right out of the 60s or the 70s, right? Man. Who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? He's like, I'm just not going to spend my time on that issue because there's something else going on under the surface that I do want to address. And that's where Jesus continues on and says, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of in an abundance of possessions. I can paraphrase that this way. It's not about your stuff. Life is not about your stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to have stuff. I got some stuff. You got some stuff. I got some nice stuff. I got some not-so-nice stuff. You got some stuff. You might want to be trading in some of that stuff for some better stuff. I get it, okay? But that's not what brings about an abundant life. It's not our stuff that does that. And Jesus knows this, and he knows what's going on under the surface between these two brothers. It's an argument about stuff, and in that spirit, Jesus wants to keep going. He wants to keep talking with them some more to reveal more about what he means, and he does it by telling a story, and that's where we're going to continue in verse 16. And Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself... What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, 
You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Let's talk about this parable. Jesus introduces us to a man. He's obviously a farmer or owns some land. And he's talking about a harvest. And every year that's what the prayer of the farmer is. Oh, come on, let's have a good harvest this year. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not. I know that this has been a rough year for a lot of farmers down in Iowa, Nebraska, southern Minnesota. It's been rough, rough year. But they pray that there'll be an abundant harvest. And so here comes an abundant harvest for this man. And isn't it interesting the way it's introduced? The ground produced an abundant harvest. Just the ground. Just sprung up from the ground. And this certain man gets this certain harvest, and he goes, oh my goodness, what a surplus. There is so much grain. What am I to do with all of this extra grain? That's what abundance means, by the way. It means that there's extra. What am I going to do with all of this? And he says to himself, self, I think I shall build bigger barns so that I can store up all of this grain and keep it for myself because that's his plan, friends. Now, there's really only three things that you could do with grain in the time of Jesus. Pretty much three things. The first is you eat it, okay? That's what grain's for. You take the grain and you grind it up into flour, and you make yourself some bread and you eat it. It's a good thing to do with grain. The second thing you can do with grain is you can sell it. Many family businesses in the time of Jesus, as a matter of fact, most businesses were family businesses, and so they would sell off a portion of the surplus grain and use that to receive some financial resources to take care of their family, and then somebody else would get some grain from that, and, and everybody wins. But there's a third thing you can do, and that is store it. Well, why do you store it? Because you want to plant some next year. That's part of what you store it for. But that's the third thing you can do is you can store it. And lots of people had storage spaces in the time of Jesus. The word barns here is just a fancy term for storehouse. And it could mean a lot of different kinds of storehouses. But but in this case, his storehouses aren't big enough. So he says, i got to tear these storehouses down, build bigger ones. Why? Because he wants to keep all of it. He wants to keep it all. Because if he can keep it all, well, then he can say to himself again, self, look how blessed I am. Look how good it is to be me. I can kick back, relax, and take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Eat, drink, and be merry? This is where it comes from, friends. Eat, drink, and be merry. But you know what? If you've heard that phrase, you've probably heard how it continues on. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And this man is there saying, I just... I'm so happy and content with everything that I have, and I get to keep it and store it up. Life is good. Eat, drink, and be merry. 
And God says to him, fool! <laughs> you fool! This very night, your life will be asked of you. And then, who's going to get all your stuff? Who's going to get all this stuff that you saved up for yourself? Remember, Jesus was in an inheritance discussion with a couple of people, right? He says, you know who's going to get your stuff? Your kids are going to get your stuff. Or it's going to rot inside of that storehouse if you don't have any kids. It's going to be of no value to anybody. And that's the point that Jesus is driving at. Friends, I've had the privilege of watching three children come into this world. Two of them are here with me today. And I got something to tell you. When they came into this world, they showed up absolutely naked. <laughs> I know. It's shocking. They did not show up fully clothed. They were not pulling a carry-on bag with them. They came with nothing. Nothing at all. That's right. Nothing. And friends, I've also sat next to people who were breathing their last in this world. Dear people who were letting go of life on this side of eternity and waiting to take hold of Jesus' hand on the other side of eternity. And I never heard any one of them say that they wish they had more stuff. And there's an old saying that says you never see a U-Haul on the back of a hearse because you can't take it with you. Because here's the absolute truth, friends, and you need to know this from my heart. Nothing you have is yours to keep. Nothing you have is yours to keep. Your home and your car, your big screen TV and your big boat, all of your clothes, all of your jewelry, all of your golf clubs, all of your tools, all of them will either wind up in a garage sale, in a thrift store, or in a landfill. All of it is not going to stay, and you can't take it with you. Nothing you have is yours to keep. That's why Jesus is driving the point home so strongly. He wants these dear brothers and now all these centuries later us to know this truth. Nothing you have is yours to keep. And Jesus says this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now what does that mean? What could it possibly mean to be rich toward God? What is Jesus getting at here? Well, he's been talking about storehouses, friends. And there was a practice in the time of Jesus, which was you would bring your grain offerings and other types of offerings that you had, you would bring them to the temple. And there they would go into the storehouse in the temple to be used as burnt offerings unto the Lord, as grain offerings, but also to feed the priests to spread out to those who were in need within the community, that's what the purpose of the storehouse was. And Jesus knew this, and those who were listening to him knew exactly what he was talking about when he was talking about storehouses. He was talking about the place where you go and receive your spiritual feeding. And the place where the mission of God is commanded to go forward. Today, that's the church. 
That's what it means to be rich toward God. Now, it's not all that it means. There are other ways to be rich toward God in our time and in our talents. But you know what? We can talk all we want about time and talents with Americans because at the end of the day, when I start talking about money, then it's like, well, whoa, wait a second, Pastor. Now you're getting personal. But it's true. All of it is a gift from God. And nothing you have is yours to keep. But here's the other side of the equation. Nothing you have is yours to keep, but everything you give is yours forever. Everything you give is yours forever. How can that be? Well, remember that passage that we read from Matthew, right? Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Why? Because the moths are going to come in and eat it, and the thieves are going to break in and steal it. It happens all the time. It's going to rust away. This is what happens to your stuff on earth. It's useful, but don't use it as a storehouse for anything that's truly treasure. Instead, he says, put your treasure in heaven. Store up treasure in heaven where moths don't break in and, and eat stuff. Where thieves don't bust in and steal. And it doesn't all rust away. Put it there. Why? Because wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Find your treasure, find your heart. Find your heart, find your treasure. Jesus knows these things. He gets us. He really does. And he understands our tendency, which is to, to put our, our safety and, and our treasure and our security into things in this world so that we can hold on to it because we're afraid it's going to disappear. There might not be enough, so I've got to hold on to it really, really tight. Friends, this is never a posture of generosity towards God. It doesn't work this way. Because when your hands are closed, nothing can get into them. And things will always slip out of them. But the posture of someone who has their treasure in heaven is this. They recognize that everything they have comes from God. It all belongs to him. And it's just passing through my hands. And so when I, have, I want to have open hands to receive what God has given to me and an open hand to give to those around me. And that, friends, is the biblical definition of blessing. That's what it means to truly be blessed. It's not that you've got a bunch of stuff or that things are going really great for you. That's, that's not what blessing means. Blessing means what you have been given, you are now freely sharing with those around you. It is totally, totally countercultural. It doesn't make any sense in a worldly sense, but it makes all the sense in the world in a heavenly sense. Because nothing you have is yours to keep, but everything you give is yours forever. You give it away, and that is storing up treasure in heaven. That's what it means. That's what Jesus is getting at. Put your heart into eternal things, not into temporary things. And nothing is more eternal than human beings. And friends, no greater desire does God have and, and all of heaven cry for than to see people come together as a part of his kingdom, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his love, to know their future, to be showered with their grace. And that place is called the church. It's called the church. It's not a building. It's people, you, 
You are the church. You are people. You are the most valuable thing that God has ever created, and each one of you is loved deeply by him. Every single one of you. It's out of that place of value that he calls us to be generous towards the needs of those around us, towards the mission in the world through his church. Everything you give is yours forever. It's not about an abundance of stuff that we have. It's about abundant generosity. That's what an abundant life is. A life where it just keeps flowing through your hands and flowing out to somebody else. And there's no fear in that because God is big. And God provides. And it's not only something that we need to know, it's something we need to learn and practice. So I want to I give you some, some simple concepts here. Three things, three ways to live into this abundant life. Three ways to, to practice storehouse giving, giving to eternal things. Number one, give regularly. Give regularly. Now, regular can mean different things for different people. Some people like to give weekly. Some people give every other week when the paycheck comes through. Some people give monthly. Some people give in, in longer distance times than that. But whatever it is for you, do it regularly. Why? Because what we do regularly becomes a habit of our heart. And it declares to God that you come first. You come first, Lord. Because you've given me everything. I'm just giving the first portion back to you. That's all I'm doing is saying thank you, Lord, for who you are and for what you've done in my life. I want to see it done in somebody else's life too. We do it regularly and we develop a habit. And when we don't do it regularly, when we only do it when it pops into our heads, we are setting ourselves up for failure. And I do not want to set you guys up for failure. You set yourselves up for failure and for guilt and for all kinds of things that are not supposed to be a part of giving. It's like, oh, man, I forgot. Oh, I haven't given in so long. Oh, man. Obviously, God's going to be upset with me about this, or this is kind of humiliating. Friends, that's not the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus towards you is his love for you and desiring the best for you. And one way to keep responding to that goodness that he gives to you is to be a regular giver. Just set it aside. My wife Angela and I have been setting it aside since 1992. That's when we got married. Give regularly. And then second, give worshipfully. Give worshipfully. Your giving is an act of worship. It's not just a transaction. It's not a give to get. You don't give because the church needs money. You give because Jesus commands us and invites us to give. Gets it gives us an opportunity to be a part of eternal things in his kingdom. Amazing. Amazing. So we give as an act of worship, giving back to God what he has given to us. That's, that's what worship is all about. It's always a response to God's goodness towards us. Oh, God, you've forgiven me. Thank you. Oh, Lord, you have, you have you've created uh, beautiful things for me, Lord. You've created a beautiful world for me. Thank you, Lord. You have given me physical possessions and money. Thank you, Lord. I know it's yours, and now I just want to give it back to you. That's a heart of worship. So give regularly, give worshipfully, and then give sacrificially. What does it mean to give sacrificially? It means something different for every person. But I tell you what it definitely does mean. It means it's about your attitude. 
It's about an attitude. The Apostle Paul says in one of his letters that God loves a cheerful giver. We don't give because it's like, oh gosh, all right, fine. Here's something to toss in the plate. If that's where you're coming from today, please, I seriously mean this, don't give. We want you to give from a spirit of joy. That's what makes giving worth it. That's what makes giving a part of being in the kingdom. It's when we give with joy. And we give sacrificially because it costs us something to give. And that can mean a different thing for every person who is here. Now, I want to sum this up quickly by saying this. I know that after a sermon like this, a lot of people can be in a place of either being angry, feeling self-righteous, tuning out, or feeling condemned. Friends, none of those are from the heart of God towards you. Your giving ultimately is something between you and God. But it's an attitude of the heart. My oldest son, Jared, is here, and when we moved up from Sioux City, Iowa, uh, Jared had to leave his job behind that he had down there. And he came up here, and you know, it's not easy to go and find a job, even with all this employment. It's not easy today to just go and find gainful employment. So Jared's been looking diligently for the last six months. And just this past week, Jared got a job. Yeah, I'm excited for him. I'm happy for him. It is. It's a cool thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to be able to, to go and serve and call into your vocation and then receive some financial benefit from that. That's a good thing. But you know what blessed me so much is I was talking with Jared the other day, and he said, boy, you know, it's just it's good to be in a place of working again. I get to work. I get to be out there, and, and then there'll be some income coming again, and his bank accounts look pretty shallow. But it's good. He's like, oh, it'd be good to be able to, to get back on track. I can start budgeting. I start paying off some of my school debts. I can start doing all these things. This is great. And then he said, and you know what? I get to start giving again to church. You think that doesn't bless a dad's heart? That's just an attitude, friends. And that attitude was the same when he wasn't making anything. So it's not about the amount. It's about the attitude of the heart that says, Lord, I just want to respond back to you out of all the goodness that you have given to me. That's the attitude of giving. You've probably heard a preacher talk about tithing sometime. Tithing is, is, is a, an amount of 10%. That's what tithe literally means. And for years and years, we've taught in the church that tithing is the standard. Tithing is what it's all about. Listen, tithing's great. I've been a tither my whole life. And it's a wonderful thing, not because it makes me so great, but because it really significantly says, God, I'm putting you first. And I've never felt like we've gone without. But some people will ask me, Pastor, are you saying that you have to tithe? No, I'm not saying you have to tithe. You can give more. <laughs> I know, I set you up for that one, I know. No, but seriously, it's, it's not about the amount. It really isn't. It's about a hard attitude. And it's about doing it regularly. So I want to give you a next step here today. We've got multiple core values that just flow into this. Jesus makes us family. Love pours out. It pours out into us from the heart of God. And then from us, it pours out into others. And it does that in all sorts of ways, including financial ways. But I also want to give you a next step. Some of you here today may have never practiced any type of financial giving to a church. 
just might not be something you've ever learned, anybody ever modeled it for you. It may seem really strange and kind of out there, and you're like, I don't, what, what is this all about? And you're like, I don't even know how to get started. And then the pastor talks about 10%. I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't just tomorrow start giving 10%. I get it, okay? But let me challenge you in something, okay? If you've never given anything before, I want to challenge you this week to give $1. Just $1. And do it with a joyful heart. And don't do it thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, what, could, what possible good could $1 do? It's not about the good that it does for the church. It's about what it happens in your heart when you begin that journey. So give $1. Next week, give two. Week after that, give three. I bet as you do that each week, you'll discover that you really didn't miss it. If you do that for a full year, by the time you're done, you'll be giving $50 a week. $50 a week is $2,500 a year. That's nothing small. That's significant. But for you, at the end, it might be $10 a week. It might be $5 a week. Listen, I'm not here to look in your bank account and figure out how much it is you're supposed to give. That's not what this is about. This is about an attitude of your heart. And if you start by just looking to God and saying, God, I just want to start. I just want to start responding out of the great grace that you poured out in my life. Just give it a start. Give it a try and begin that journey forward. And then remember this, it is never a matter of God's love or forgiveness towards you that's related to what you give. Never. The two are not combined. Your value, you can't put a price tag on your value as human beings, friends. Not any single one of you. You can't put a value on what it is that you mean to this community in your partnership and participation here. Don't walk out of this place with a sense of guilt or shame. That is not the heart of Jesus. He does a transformative work in us by his Holy Spirit. So just open up your hands. Just open up your hands to him and say, Father, everything I have comes from you. And everything I have belongs to you and is for your service. Lord, receive what it is from me that you want to bless my neighbor. Let's just take that posture as we come into a time of prayer right now. If you want to, you don't have to, but you can just kind of hold your hands out like this just as a, as a measure towards God, as a symbol. Let's pray. Father, this, this is a reminder, Lord, that everything we have comes from you. We open our hands up, Lord, and, and right now as we look into our hands, we see nothing, and that's because... Everything that comes from you, Lord, can't be quantified by a dollar amount or by an amount of stuff or anything like that, Lord. It's way more than that. It's you. You have given us yourself. And then you've given us every good and perfect gift. And Lord, we open up our hands to that today so that, Lord, we can keep our hands open to see the needs around us, to see the needs in our neighborhood, the needs in our workplace, the needs in our school, the needs around the world. And Lord, we open our hands to release from ourselves back to you, Lord, what it is that you call us to. And whatever it is, Lord, that we bring, Lord, we know you will take it, you will multiply it, 
and you will do more with it, Lord, than we could ever imagine on our own. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for calling us into this incredible privilege to partner with you in a kingdom future that's not just about us. It's about the whole world that you love. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.